Well, good morning. Uh, it's so good to be together on this Memorial Day weekend and to learn something new about my partner in ministry that he knows to sew and know how, how to sew. I think that might come in handy around the pastors from time to time. Uh, I would invite you now to open your Bibles or one of the pew Bibles to the book of Hebrews, the Hebrews chapter 4. We'll be reading verses 1 to 13. And as Pastor Brett mentioned last week, we're considering the great themes of the Sabbath and Christ's rest for his people. And we'll return to the book of Daniel next Sunday, Lord willing. Now, I've been looking forward to sharing this word with you because if there is one thing that the church of our generation needs, it is rest. We desperately need rest. And we need rest because all the world around us needs rest. We need to find ourselves less like the world and its chaos and more like Jesus Christ and discover the rest that he provides for his people both now and forevermore. So let us give attention to the Lord's word. This is Hebrews 4, verses 1 to 13. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter the rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted today, if you hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joint and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you seeking your favor to help us understand the depths and wonders of your love as revealed in your word. Help us now to hear your voice by the power of the Spirit. Let us learn how to become conformed to the image of your Son, our God and Savior. Please speak to us through your word, for your servants now listen. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You know, you need only to look or to listen to the top news stories to see the unrest in the world today. There is uncertainty, hardship, there's strife. Life can be difficult and threatened. There is unrest and division. 
Just look at the front page of the newspaper or go online to see the world's headlines. This morning, there's taking aim at gun control. There's looters that are dipping, digging up Civil War battlefield relics in Petersburg, Virginia. And in Syria, rebels attacked by Islamic State military groups, government troops, caused more than 160,000 civilians to be trapped and hospitals to be evacuated. On it goes. Tremendous strife, division, unrest all over the headlines of the news today. And here's the key question for you and for me. If you were to ask yourself honestly about your own world, what would your headlines look like? What would your history and headlines be? And my guess that for you and for me, at times, they might look like or feel similar to the headlines of the newspaper or the web. And that's the reason it's so important to take seriously a text like Hebrews chapter 4. For by God's Spirit, it speaks of what God does for us in terms of entering into His Sabbath rest through growing relationship in Jesus Christ. This is a joyful passage for us to consider, and it's a challenging chapter of the Bible to ponder. But it all has the aim of something very profitable, which is enjoying His rest. So in understanding this rest, we'll try to do three things this morning. We'll explain it, i.e. look at it by definition. We'll explore it in the context of the history of these verses. And then we will long to embrace it as the writer of Hebrews calls us to do. But let's begin with exploring God's rest, looking at the biblical meaning of the word rest, for it is indeed a very rich word. Now, the basic idea of rest is that of ceasing from work or from any kind of action. You stop doing what you're doing. Action, labor, exertion, they're all over. But now applied to God's rest, it means that there is no more self-effort as far as our salvation is concerned. It means the end of trying to please God by our own uh, feeble fleshly works. God's perfect rest is a rest in His free grace that you enjoy by trusting Jesus Christ for your salvation and growing in His likeness over a lifetime. Rest also means freedom from whatever worries or disturbs you. So right now we can sometimes sense that some of us, we don't rest mentally or emotionally because we might get easily annoyed. You know, every little nuisance upsets us and sometimes we feel hassled. And yet rest does not mean that those nuisances and hassles disappear. It simply means that we have freedom from them. We're not so easily bothered by them. It is by the grace of the Holy Spirit that we are in rest, inwardly quiet and composed. We're peaceful. And so to enter God's rest means that we are to be at peace with God and with self by the fruit of the Spirit. The love, the joy, the peace, the patience, kindness, goodness, the gentleness, faithfulness, all those things of self-control that we see in the Scripture. But it's because of what Christ has done for us on the cross that we are free from guilt and unnecessary feelings of guilt. For we know that the Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, rest also means biblically that we are able to lie down, to be settled, to be fixed, to be secure with an intimate relationship with our Savior. 
There is no more shifting about in frustration from one thing to another. No more running in circles. In God's rest, we are anchored in Christ. We are freed from running from philosophy to philosophy, from lifestyle to lifestyle. In Christ, we are rooted, we're grounded. That's Christian rest. It means that we maintain our confidence in Him. To enter God's rest, therefore, means to enjoy the perfect, unshakable confidence of salvation in our Lord. We have no more reason to fear. We have absolute trust and confidence in God's power and care. And one final thought, rest also means to lean upon. We enter into God's rest as we lean on Jesus Christ for the remainder of our lives and on into eternity since our salvation is eternally secure. So when Sabbath rests, there is the already of what we enjoy today and the not yet of what comes tomorrow. All the way into eternity forward. We can be sure that He will never fail to support us, though we know whom we have believed and we stand in Him. And the rest spoken of in Hebrews 4 includes all of these meanings. It is full. It is blessed. It is sweet. It is satisfying. It is peaceful. It is what God offers every person in Jesus Christ. And so from Hebrews chapter 4, we see God's rest in Christ illustrated in the Canaan rest of Israel, but a rest that Israel seldom ever understood and enjoyed because of what these verses tell us, their unbelief, their disobedience. And so Hebrews 4 Verses 1 to 13 takes us more deeply into this truth by exploring God's rest in a few headlines of biblical redemptive history. And that brings us to our second point. We want to explore God's rest in the context again of what the Bible has told us over time. Now, first and foremost, please understand that Jesus Christ is the one who provides his people with Christ-centered rest. Let's not miss the forest for the trees in all these verses as we think about enjoying Sabbath rest for the people of God. But there is rest for those who trust because of what Christ has done for us on the cross, because He lives, and because we enter into relationship with Him as we trust Him. This means that you're not going to receive this rest unless you receive it from the Lord. Our Creator made you. He knows what you need. He is in control of history and the future. He is the only hope that you have for finding rest. And praise God, the promise of finding His rest still stands. Yet, the tragedy in our generation and in the history of the church, including the Old Testament, is that people try all types of substitutes for rest. Now we could... Label so many addictive behaviors that distress God's people as we seek relief instead of God's true rest. But one such substitute highlighted here in these verses is that we attempt to flee from the problems of life and simply go back to the most comfortable and convenient lifestyle that we once knew. Now this is precisely what the Israelites wanted to do when they were in Kadesh, in the desert, when Israel was wandering in the wilderness and rebelling against God. 
It is recorded in Numbers and then in Psalm 95 by David. And then it's reflected in Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4. You remember the biblical story. Following the release from Pharaoh, Israel was in the desert for about three years. They were ready to go into the promised land. And Moses sent 12 spies into the land to see what the people would face with the promise that God would be with them to help them overcome whatever they would face. And then from Numbers 13, these spies come back to Moses and this is what they report. The land of Canaan is indeed a beautiful land filled with milk and honey. However, it is filled with all these people, the Amalekites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Canaanites. And so in Numbers 14, the people rebel, declaring that we are going back to Egypt because these people are giants and we cannot overcome them. They would not believe that God would be with them. They did not believe the promise of God's provision and His rest. So this whole generation... According to verse 5, quoting Psalm 95, it tells us twice in these verses, they shall not enter my rest. This was the declaration of God. They were condemned to 37 more years of wandering because of their sin. The entire generation would perish except for Joshua and Caleb, who as old man would lead a new generation into the promised land. Now, there were many sins that the Israelites committed in the wilderness. There were some really bad ones. But the worst one and the really bad one is that they did not believe what God had told them about Himself. Take every sin that they committed and every act of disobedience, and at its heart is an episode of unbelief. Now, there are two more verses that we want to briefly explore here in this second point of exploring this redemptively. Notice this verse about Joshua. Joshua takes a new generation into the promised land. And so a key question arises. Is this the final, ultimate rest that God had in mind for His people as they inhabit the promised land themselves? But from verse 8, we see that that answer is no. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. And then another verse here King David writing Psalm 95 that appears in Hebrews 3 and again in verse 7. Today, saying through David, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts so that you may enjoy God's rest. Long after the people entered the promised land, David knew that God was still holding out an offer for salvation rest for those who would believe. And then one final part of our exploration here in these verses, and it's tremendous. It comes in verse 4. Our God rested on the seventh day from all His works at creation. Our sovereign God, Creator and Redeemer, rests in peace with joy for His people who enjoy fellowship with Him. He will call it a Sabbath rest because on this day the Lord rested. Now, this does not mean, as you know, that God entered a state of idleness, for there is a sense in which He continually is at work. Yet the completion of creation marks the end of a magnificent whole. There was nothing to add to what God had done, and He entered a rest from creating. A rest that marked the knowledge that everything that He had made was good. 
Now this, I hope you notice, will point us to what Jesus has done on the cross. It points us to the redemptive work of Jesus when He is able to declare in John 19, It is finished. Christ's redemptive work for you and me is done. And notice Christ rests from Hebrews chapter 10. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God. You have in God the example of your rest. Your very lives are made for the glory of God. That's the reason that you were created and that's the purpose of every breath you breathe and every endeavor. Every decision that you make and every relationship that you enter, the purpose is to glorify the Lord. And there is rest in that glory. What is the glory of God in our lives? Well, it's to reflect The person of Jesus who is dwelling within by the power of the Spirit to the world around us. And one of those things we learn about the character of God is that He rests over His mighty works and He enters into us that we might reflect His character. What a witness we may be to this world. And before we transition into our third point, I simply want to say that I know that some of you desperately need rest. For some of you work 12 hours a day, six days a week, and sometimes it goes into the seventh with no ceasing, with no break, with no rest. Sometimes I know we don't even know how to rest because we haven't really trained ourselves to do it. And so much of our lives is tied up in the definition of what we do in the workplace or in the classroom or at home raising children. And yet from this exploration of redemptive history, we have this all-important conclusion about God's rest that there still remains an opportunity for Sabbath rest for the people of God. The door is not shut. The time is not past. The door is still open. The time is now. And that's our third point that we're now coming to. Let us be sure to embrace the rest of God. Well, how do we do it? I want you to see how the writer to the book of Hebrews exhorts us to embrace this rest in our Savior and King. In verse 1, he simply says, let us fear. He doesn't want us to become complacent about the importance of rest for our souls. He says, let us fear that none of you are found to have fallen short of it. In verse 2, for we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did in the Old Testament. They have the good news preached to them and we have the good news preached to us today. Well, what was the good news preached to them? Well, we can do a lot of study about that. Of course, Abraham had faith and it was credited to him as righteousness. But there was many things that the Lord would tell his people. And you can see it even say to Israel from Mount Sinai in Exodus 34, that the Lord is proclaiming that I am the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. It was the good news of love and mercy and forgiveness of every kind of iniquity and transgression and sin. It was also the good news in the Old Testament that God would be faithful to His promises to bring His people into the land of milk and honey if they would simply trust Him and not rebel. However, we see in verse 2 that the message they heard 
which is the good news of forgiveness and promised joy, it did not benefit them because they were not united with those who listened. In other words, they didn't believe. They doubted God. They distrusted Him. They did not have faith in His promise to give them a better future. And what was the result of that unbelief? We see it in verse 2. It did not benefit them. It was of no value. It did not save them. They did not enter into God's rest. And the entire generation fell in the desert. But now let's apply that to you and me today. We have the good news preached that our God reigns and that Jesus Christ is the ascended and exalted King. He has provided heaven for us and has provided for us rest. Jesus calls us to enter into that rest this day forevermore. The same gospel. This gospel that was preached to them has been preached to us. But imagine this. We are here today celebrating that Jesus is with us. Is that right? When Jesus came, He ultimately gave His life on the cross and wore the crown of thorns. He died. He was buried. But for those who do not believe it, the Bible says that it is of no value. Jesus Christ was raised to everlasting life with the promise of giving eternal life to everyone who will follow Him. But you must meet this promise with trust. For without trust, the Bible tells us, It is of no value to you. Jesus Christ ascended into heaven and from there He intercedes for His people. From there He governs His church. He provides for us. He guides us. He protects us. For those who do not meet though this promise with faith, I will say again that there is no value in what He has done. Jesus Christ has promised to return and to take us with Him into eternity, to eternal joy for everlasting rest. Yet if this is not met with our trust, again the Bible is saying it has no value. Can you imagine this? Is there any greater tragedy than the promises of God for our salvation being presented to us day in and day out and we meet it with unfaith? Faithlessness. And therefore, it would be of no value to anyone. And yet for those who meet Christ with faith and trust, it has infinite value. We wrestle and we accept the promises of God. We receive the work of Jesus upon the cross and the empty tomb. We yield to His rule from heaven and we rest. Do you see the great lessons here? The Christian life is a life of day by day, hour by hour, trust in the promises of God to help us and to guide us and to take care of us and to forgive us and to bring us into a future of holiness and of joy. This will satisfy your hearts, dear family, infinitely more than if we forsake Him and put our trust in ourselves or in the promises of this world. And that day-by-day, hour-by-hour trust in God's promises is not automatic. It is the result of daily diligence and it's the result of proper fear rooted in God's grace and love. We need to embrace God's Word to help us. These verses tell us. Why? Because the Word is living. Living. Written by a sovereign God who has invested this Word with a dynamic quality. 
So that this word is not simply the divine command of God, but it's a personal word as it's applied to our hearts by the Holy Spirit to every one of us as we listen for the truth. The word is active. It is a challenging word which will accomplish the purposes for which the Lord has given it. That is back from Isaiah. It disallows anyone though saying, oh well, that is really nice, but it really does not have anything of value for me today. Thinking of the Word of God. It's a sharp word. It's penetrating. It's cutting. When we can't figure out life, the Word of God is able to probe our innermost being. It cuts and it pierces into the depths of our heart and it unravels mystery when we are often perplexed. God's Word is sharp, able to penetrate, analyze, discern. God's Word to us is an incredible gift. And I want to encourage you today, if you don't do this daily, just start small with daily devotions. You can request multiple free apps for your phone. You can have these little devotional guides sent to your house for years. I've loved this little devotional guide from In Touch Ministries from Charles Stanley. My wife, Elka, she benefits from daily devotions from John Piper. It's just a few verses and then explanation and how we... Apply it to our lives. That helps me to stay in God's rest daily. It can be simple. It doesn't have to be difficult. But begin that time with a prayer saying, Lord, help me by the Spirit to understand Your Word. And at the end of that time, Lord, help me to apply it and to live it in my heart this day. We cannot ignore the Word of God because as we seek to enter the rest of Christ, it will bring to us the beauty of of what He longs us to have. So we need to embrace Jesus Christ in His rest with everything that we have as we trust in Him. Jesus offers rest, praise God. The door is not shut. The time is not passed. You have not missed your opportunity. The door is open. There remains, therefore, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. But someone may say, Yes, a rest remains for the people of God, but not for me. And I simply want to encourage you, please do not rule yourself out. If you look at verse 3, For we who have believed, we enter that rest. May the headlines of our lives be, We rest because we trust in the Lord. We sleep at night because we trust the One who never sleeps. And if you strain to trust, Remember, Jesus is the one who offers to you that wonderful invitation with great love. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And you will find rest for your souls. Take the rest of Jesus that He offers through fellowship with Him. Treasure Him. Come to know Him as the Christ of Scripture. And you will discover grace. And you will enjoy His rest. Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for the truth of Your Word. And we ask that You would make it effective in our hearts by the work of Your Spirit so that the Gospel we have heard would bless us as we believe. Lord God, by Your Spirit, bless us to trust and enjoy Christ's rest. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.